We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 0585, PowerX Corporation versus Reliant Energy Services. Mr. Frederick. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In 1988, the Government of British Columbia created PowerX to perform a variety of public functions, including the marketing of surplus hydropower generated by development of the province's natural resources pursuant to bilateral agreements with the United States. The Ninth Circuit, however, denied PowerX its rightful status as an organ of a foreign state entitled to remove this case from state court to federal court. Before addressing the appellate jurisdiction issue, I'd like to highlight briefly the two key errors by the Ninth Circuit in rejecting PowerX's organ status. First, the Court articulated the wrong test for determining an entity's status as an organ of a foreign state. The factors the Ninth Circuit found dispositive are inconsistent with the FSIA. And second, the Court overlooked crucial evidence of PowerX's public functions that are the best indication of its sovereign status. The British Columbia government receives and distributes the proceeds from PowerX's operations, supervises PowerX through BC Hydro, subjects PowerX to provincial laws not applicable to private companies, and grants PowerX special benefits, including exemption from taxation. Mr. Frederick, are you, are you going to get to the 1447D problem? Yes, let me res- address that now. The court's, the district court's remand order was appealable because it was not issued under 1447C. The district court thought that it was, and one reads it, the district court said, I have no authority in, under, over any of these people, so back it goes. The district court made two mutually exclusive statements, that remand was proper and that it lacked subject matter jurisdiction. Because of that inconsistency, the Court of Appeals was removal. Point to removal what you're was talking proper. About? Re- Where removal? are these states? You said remand was proper. That's, that's not Sorry, right. that removal was proper under the sovereign removal provisions of 1441D and 1442A. It also then said it lacked subject matter jurisdiction. But at the point it was acting, it was remanding. Uh, and its, its basis for remanding was not that. It thought the removal had been proper. The basis for its remanding was that it said it lacked jurisdiction over three of the other cross-defendants. But immunity was the basis of the district court's thinking that it had to remand. It it may have been leaving aside the question whether it was right or wrong. It may have been wrong. But what it thought it was doing, it seems to me, is fairly clearly remanding for a jurisdictional reason. And what this Court's cases say, Justice Souter, is that the remand has to be a ground cognizable under 1447C. Those cases are all all based on Thermtron. Uh, you don't have any doubt that Thermtron would come out the other way today, do you? I certainly in do. Light of the, in light of the statutory language as it exists now? Mr. Chief Justice, the Thermtron rule has been reaffirmed no less than four times by this Court, notwithstanding two statutory amendments. It has been reaffirmed, and stare decisis on the basis of statute is the strongest form of stare decisis. So I but do stare decisis on the basis of statute is kind of a weak basis when the statute's been changed. Mr. Chief Justice, the Thermtron rule was reaffirmed earlier this term in the Osborne case, has been reaffirmed in prior cases from the time it was decided, even through statutory amendments, 
Our submission is that if Congress intended to change that rule, it could have done so clearly. And we note that the respondents here don't ask for Thermtron to be overruled. And it is clear from the amicus on their side that the only way you could rule in favor of the respondents in this case would be to overrule Thermtron. But Thermtron is such a far cry from this case. In Thermtron, the district judge said, Yes, I have jurisdiction, but I'm just too busy, so I'm going to toss this case back to the state court. But here, Justice Ginsburg, the court did have jurisdiction because removal was properly effectuated once the entities that removed were identified correctly as sovereigns, either foreign sovereigns in the case of B.C. Hydro or federal sovereigns in the case of BPA. But if, even if we go into that question all the time, 1447D is, is, is a nullity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if in every case you're going to be able to appeal whether indeed there was lack of jurisdiction, you're going to be able to appeal every case. No, you're not, Justice Scalia, and here's why. Immunity is not a ground for remand because it is not a precondition for a removal by a sovereign. It is a separate freestanding issue. It is a status determination that determines whether removal is proper by those sovereigns. Well, that would be fine if 1447D uh, said uh, that uh, there is uh, there is no appeal so long as the basis for removal was, uh, was, was proper, but that's if, not what it says. But if in Thermtron the court, the, the district court had said, my docket is too busy, I therefore lack subject matter jurisdiction and remand under 1447C, I don't think there's any doubt that the courts would look beyond the label I don't given. think the court said in Thermtron, therefore I have no subject matter jurisdiction. I, I'm speaking hypothetically, Justice Ginsburg. My point is that the label the district court attached here was the wrong label, and that's why the Court of Appeals, to satisfy why? itself that Why was it wrong when, when, with respect to the sovereign parties, the district court said, I have, these people are totally immune from suit, therefore I have no jurisdiction over because it is inconsistent with the notion that remand orders have no preclusive effect to remand a case on the ground that the sovereigns are immune and force them to relitigate their immune status in state court. That is precisely why Congress enacted these sovereign removal provisions. Then what you are really arguing for uh, is, is, in effect, a, a, a separate rule. And that is that 1440, uh, 1447D has an exception uh, when we are dealing with foreign sovereign immunities. That's our backup submission, Justice Souter. You do not need to reach that if you agree with our principal submission. But the trouble with the principal submission, it seems to me, is that we have said that even if the district court has come to an erroneous conclusion about jurisdiction, if it understands that it is making a jurisdictional ruling, that is not appealable. But, Justice Souter, it did so. The, case, the cases in which the Court has said so have always been grounds, jurisdictional grounds, cognizable under 1447C. Immunity from suit is not such a ground, because the purpose of having the removal provision on the basis of status is to allow the Federal courts to decide the immunity status. If the Court sends the case back to State court, on immunity grounds, it does not have preclusive effect in the state courts 
the state courts will be obliged to relitigate sovereign immunity status, and there will be no recourse except through appeal through the state well, courts. Well, you're into your backup argument yeah. now. No, that's the that's backup a, argument you're now making, no, that, not your, your principal argument. No, Justice Scalia, that's not our backup argument. Our point is that in this case, the district court had jurisdiction by virtue of the successful removals, which everybody conceded were correct, that the label that it attached, immunity is subject matter jurisdiction, is not a label for a ground recognized in 1447C. So it was appropriate for the Court of Appeals to exercise appellate jurisdiction to determine whether or not the remand was a mandatory remand under 1447C or a discretionary one of the type this Court has recognized in the Cohill case. Did and you request when the uh, question of Power X authority over Power X was before the district court, did you request that the district court give you a 1292B order before the court remanded the case so you could have gotten the case, the question up on appeal? I don't believe that. We did, Justice Ginsburg. This case was uh, remanded. A motion, motions for clarification were subsequently brought, but a 1292B order was not requested by PowerX. Because the that, could, that would have taken care of it if the district judge agreed to delay the remand to allow this question of law to be determined, determined by the Court of Appeals. It is certainly the case that in searching through the docket entries, you'll discover that there was a holding by the district court of the remand, which is in itself an unusual procedure. But the point that is important here is that even apart from that, when the court had jurisdiction pursuant to the removal provisions, it did not lose subject matter jurisdiction by finding the immunity of claims upon the part of the federal and foreign sovereigns. And it is their theory that the district court never had subject matter jurisdiction. And that has to be wrong because it conflicts with the purposes behind the removal provision to give the sovereigns the opportunity to litigate their immunity defenses in federal court. They don't care whether, whether it had subject matter jurisdiction or not. It's, it's, it's not an essential part of their case. Their case is even if, the, if it did, it mistakenly thought it didn't and remanded end of case. Their submission in this court, however, is that there was no subject matter jurisdiction. That's that their backup argument, I think. Well, their backup argument should be rejected by the court as wrong. If, in fact, it goes back to the state court and you litigate it, you lost, can you raise uh, as a, a, a point of appeal that, that, that you did not receive two things the statute guaranteed you? One was a determination in the federal court that you're an organ of a, of a federal state, and second, a, a bench trial. Justice Breyer, there's no provision. No, but could you? You you would, by the time the appeals in the state court would have been exhausted, the very benefits. No, I'm just asking, could you, yes or no? I would certainly make the argument. Now, if you lost in the state court, could you then use that as a basis for uh, asking this court uh, to accept uh, jurisdiction? And if if we did, if we heard the case, uh, reverse and send it back for the proper trial under the statute? 
Justice Breyer, I would not want to foreclose any arguments that we might try to make, but let me point out to you that in the years that it would take to march through the state court system, PowerX, as a sovereign, would be denied its right to have a bench trial. What I'm getting at is, is whenever there's a, an erroneous remand, the practical problems that you raise are present. And they're awful. I don't deny them, but, I mean, they're right there in the statute foresees them. So I wonder, is there any difference in this case from every case where the remand is erroneous? I do think foreign sovereigns are different, and Congress intended to treat In terms of the uh, uh, legal right to get the trial to which the law entitles you, on your view of the law, there is no difference. The foreign sovereign is entitled to a bench trial. It is entitled to other procedural protections with respect to treatment of garnishment, other And you would get those eventually. It would just have to happen. It would be after. It would be. Yes. It well, would but that's, that's purely pure question begging. I mean, the whole issue on the merits is whether it's a foreign sovereign or not. And the uh, you can't assume that you're correct uh, when the remand provision or the provision barring appeal when it's been remanded doesn't care whether you're correct. The idea is you can get a correct determination in state court through up to review by this court eventually, and as you can in federal court. And there's no reason to assume that the federal court is the only place you can get a correct determination. But, Je- Mr. Chief Justice, the point of having Congress enact these removal provisions and to ensure jurisdiction in the federal court for sovereigns on the basis of their status is entirely to vindicate those rights and interests. If PowerX were sued for it's, non-diversity. It's the, it's the same with, with diversity jurisdiction. You can make the same argument. There's nothing distinctive here. This statute says that in, in, a, in a foreign sovereign immunity case, you have a right to be tried in federal court. Fine. But the statute also says that if, if you're a, a defendant in a diversity suit, you have a right to trial in federal court. And I don't know why this is any more uh, demanding of an exception to 1447D than is uh, ordinary diversity jurisdiction, where Congress has said you're entitled to trial in federal court. Diversity is different, Justice Scalia, and here's why. When a case is removed on diversity grounds, the court of a P- the court district court is obliged to examine the bases of diversity. That is what the court's removal duty is. When a foreign sovereign removes a case, the district court's duty is to determine, is this a foreign state within the meaning of the FSIA? If it is, I have jurisdiction. Mr. Frick, may I just follow up on Justice Breyer's question? So it seems to me that your answer suggests that you have two bites at the apple, because you, all the way along, you might win. And if you won, then it really wouldn't matter. And if you lose, you always have the argument to be made here. Let's go back and start over again. Justice Stevens, I don't think we would win at all in that circumstance because we would be forced as a foreign state to litigate in state court contrary to Congress's will. Yes. Whatever arguments that may be preserved. But you may win that litigation. It's not impossible, is it? It is certainly not impossible, but the point — And if you lose, you always have a point on appeal. It may start all over again later on. It is unclear to me, and I'm not sure that I've seen any of this Court's cases that would suggest that the denial of that kind of procedural right would be grounds for reversing a state court judgment. And our position is that Congress intended to protect the bench trial right the immunity defenses of a foreign sovereign, because the organ status question. Did anybody in this case, did any of the defendants in this case request a trial by jury? 
I don't recall whether the defendants do, but it is clear that the plaintiffs would be entitled to a jury trial. Uh, have they asked for it? Has any party asked for a jury trial? If not, that uh, part of the case seems academic. Well, uh, the case has uh, settled, Justice Ginsburg, prior to the formal invocation of trial procedures. And so... The case is settled? As explained in the cert petition papers, the case is on appeal in the state court system on objections to the settlement, and it will not be mooted during the course of this court's action on the case. But the invocation of jury that would be done normally just before trial has not been an issue that's been presented. That's different than it is in the federal courts. You have to... Can't wait till the eve of trial. Well, what the jury. what the plaintiffs here assert is that they would be denied their right to jury trial, and I presume that that means they intend to ask for one and to perpetuate that request. Our position, as we explain in a footnote in our reply brief, is that they have a jury trial right as against Duke and Reliant. They do not as against the foreign sovereigns that they have sued. So, at, at root. The case is about the kind of comedy and dignity that the courts of the United States will accord to foreign sovereigns. If PowerX were sued on the basis of non-commercial acts, it would not be entitled to have its immunity defense vindicated if the district court is held to have no jurisdiction, notwithstanding the proper removal under 1441D. I'd like to save the remainder of my time for rebuttal, please. Thank you, Mr. Frederick. Mr. Hallward-Dremeyer. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This Court has recognized repeatedly that the bar on appellate review in 1447D applies only to remands under 1447C. And this Court has held that the Courts of Appeals have authority to decide whether a remand order was, in fact, one within the authority of 1447C. In fact, just this term in Osborne, the District Court remanded the case on the basis of 1447C for purported lack of subject matter jurisdiction. Osborne made it very clear that that was an extraordinary case where Congress had explicitly ordered two conflicting things. One, it said no remand of a case of this type, and then it said no review of remand. So the Court was as clear as it could be that only when you have those conflicting signals does that court does that, does that case have any application? Your, your, your Honor is absolutely correct that Osborne concerned a particular kind of categorical exception from 1447C. And our argument is that as a categorical matter, the basis of remand in this case was not one within the scope of 1447C. That although the district court termed the sovereign immunity of the defendants jurisdictional, it was not jurisdictional in the relevant sense. And this court held precisely that in the Oliver American trading case. There, a case removed by Mexico was dismissed by the district court on the basis of its immunity. And the district court certified that holding as a jurisdictional decision immediately appealable to this court. Yet this court looked beyond that label attached by the district court and held that sovereign immunity is not jurisdictional in the relevant sense because it does not limit the authority of the federal courts, qua federal courts, but rather is a general rule that would preclude suit in state court as well. 
Likewise, under 1447C, it is not a basis to remand that the defendant is immune. When Congress authorized sovereign defendants to remove cases to federal court to vindicate their immunity, it did not intend that when the district court upheld that immunity, it would be remanded to state court, which would be free to disregard the federal court's decision. One technical question, the same one. I want to be, imagine it's a diversity case. Imagine the federal court uh, erroneously remands it. A trial, blah, 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 gets up to this court, and we say uh, it was diverse. It, was, it shouldn't have been remanded. Now, what's, it, it, is that like, can that happen, I guess? And is, is the remedy then wipe out the state proceedings, go back to federal court? What happens? Have there ever been a case like that? Yes. The Missouri Pacific Railway case holds that even this court, on review of a state court judgment following remand, cannot review the remand order itself. It can review issues of federal law that were decided by the state courts on remand, but it's called the case. I'll look at that. Missouri. Missouri Pacific Railway case. Counsel, Uh, what what do you do about 1447E, which says that if after removal, joinder might defeat subject matter jurisdiction, the court can deny joinder or permit joinder and remand the action? In other words, you've got subject matter jurisdiction, but the statute contemplates it may be later, uh, uh, later you may lose subject matter jurisdiction, and you can remand it there. And I suspo- suppose that that needs to be interpreted in peri materia with C, so that the remands would not be subject to review. It seems to be the same situation here. You've got allegedly subject matter jurisdiction. It's later defeated, and it's remanded. Why shouldn't what, that be covered by C? What's, what's notable is that Congress enacted 1447E at the same time that it amended 1447C. It provided in 1447E for an authority to remand in a particular instance where the Court lost subject matter jurisdiction post-removal. It had, of course, been the rule since this Court's decision, St. Paul Mercury Indemnity, that post-removal events did not defeat the removal court's jurisdiction. And in the statute, it was made explicit that 1447C authorized remand only when the case was removed improvidently and without jurisdiction. And when Congress amended the language in 1998 to make clear that non-jurisdictional defects in removal had to be raised immediately or were forfeited, it at the same time, and and, and added the language or, or changed the language in the second sentence that that raises problems for our argument. At the same time, it added 1447E to provide, as I said, a particular authority to remand based on post-removal events that would have been unnecessary if, as respondents urge, 1447C was intended to uh, confer general authority to remand on the basis of post-removal events. But you don't have any doubt that a remand under 1447E would be covered by 1447D, do you? Uh, no. And, and, and the courts of appeals that have considered that question likewise hold that a remand under 1447E is read in paramateria with, with D, uh, although the, the courts seem to be split on whether the decision to allow the joinder is a separable uh, decision appealable under Waco or not. But, but that issue is not presented. But what is significant is that had Congress intended by the amendment to 1447C to 
authorize for the first time remand on the basis of post-removal events, 1447E would have been unnecessary. And yet, the legislative history to 1447E makes clear that Congress believed that in the absence of that provision, the Court would have been limited to two alternatives, authorize the joinder or deny the joinder or dismiss the case. How is that relevant here? What is, what is the post-removal event? The post-removal event here is the recognition of the defendant's sovereign immunity. Well, that's not an the, event. The that's, that's an epiphany. It's well, not an event. <laughs> well, according, uh, apparently the district court viewed it as a post-removal event that deprived it or, or defeated, divested it's very it strange jurisdiction. meaning of event. I, well, I, Your Honor, I... I mean, the, the, the sovereign immunity didn't exist from the outset. Nothing changed. No, but, but the district court's order is clear, and it is absolutely correct in this regard, that removal jurisdiction existed at the outset. So the Court does not lack removal jurisdiction. The reference in 1447C, second sentence, to lax subject matter jurisdiction refers to lax removal jurisdiction. And in fact, this Court used that shorthand repeatedly in the Kircher decision to describe the 1447C, lax removal jurisdiction. This Court — Why didn't it say that? I, I really find it very hard to accept that argument, that, that when it says, you know, it doesn't use lax removal jurisdiction, that's what it means. It's well, an the, easy thing to say. The Court has to go back to the history of the statute and how it's evolved. Clearly, pre-1988, authority to remand was only if it was removed without jurisdiction. And so the question is, when Congress changed the language to lax subject matter jurisdiction, did it mean lax removal jurisdiction? Under, this, which it, under the district court's view, was, would there have been original jurisdiction against PowerX? No, it would not have, but that's because of the peculiarities of the difference between original jurisdiction under the FSIA, Section 1330A, and removal jurisdiction under the FSIA. Whereas original jurisdiction depends upon a conclusion that the defendant is not immune, Congress conferred removal jurisdiction whenever a foreign sovereign is defendant. Likewise, in 1442A, with regard to federal defendants. Can, can you tell me, if the petitioner does not prevail here, the case goes back to the state court, uh, can the immunity argument be raised in the state court? The immunity argument could be raised in state court. That's what this court held in Kircher. But the, the defendant would be forever denied its right to a bench trial under federal law. That right is limited to uh, suits in the federal courts by its terms, 1441D. In other words, the state court couldn't say, well, you know, this district court was wrong. Uh, there's really a, a immunity under the federal statute here. The, the state court can't hold that? The, the state then, then, then you'd have constant the, the state eternal court, shuttling back and forth, I suppose. The state court could reconsider PowerX's status as a foreign sovereign, but it wouldn't have many, if any, implications in the state court because PowerX isn't claiming immunity in this case. It's only invoking the procedural benefits of the FSIA, which include that the case be litigated in the federal court before a judge rather than a jury, and it will be forever denied the benefits, those important procedural benefits of the statute, if this court doesn't uphold review of the erroneous well, we determination. Know, in other words, the, fed, the federal determination bars the state court from re, 
redetermining that there's immunity? The State Court can't say, Federal Court, you're wrong. The the issue of immunity of Power Act was never raised in this case. It can review the question whether it is an organ of the State, but it cannot review the remand determination. Thus, Power Act can never be granted the the procedural benefits of Federal forum or bench trial. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Simon. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, there are two reasons, independent, sufficient reasons, why there was no appellate jurisdiction in this case. The first, most narrow and simple reason to vacate the decision below for lack of jurisdiction is to follow this Court's precedents which accept the District Court's remand order for what it is and what it says it is, a remand for lack of subject matter jurisdiction under 1447C, unremovable under 1447D. That is a simple, direct route to that result. There is a second approach suggested by a lot of the briefing and some of the argument Your Honors have heard this morning, and I want to lay it out briefly for the Court. And it is that, as the law professor Amiki have suggested, there is some amount of confusion in the lower courts, I might say with due respect, evasion of 1447D in the lower courts by judge-made exceptions to 1447D created by some but not all of the courts of appeal. And the Court could clear out some of this underbrush, mooting many of the issues that Mr. Frederick and that the Solicitor General have raised. Thermtron, after Carnegie Mellon, addressing the question that Justice Kennedy raised in his concurring opinion in Things Remembered versus Petrarca, Thermtron does not say what many of the lower courts think it says. Thermtron does not say what my adversaries say it says, because Thermtron has been partially overruled by Carnegie Mellon. The notion that the only proper remand is a 1447C remand is ancient history after Carnegie Mellon. And therefore, the notion that the only remand covered by 1447D is a remand under 1447C is also ancient history. Congress has given us a simple and strong message, which is when we're disputing the forum, when the parties in a case are legitimately and in good faith disputing the forum, state court versus federal court, Congress has said, take one shot at it. Let an Article III judge determine whether the forum is state court or federal court and move on to the merits. What what, what reason would Congress have for wanting a a system that says, and there are many, many, many people in the United States who would like to sue Pakistan. They would like to sue China. They would like to sue Russia. Uh, There there are all kinds of places they'd like to sue. And uh, why would Congress want to have a system that says to those countries, you can uh, come into federal court and get your claim adjudicated, whether it's really you, China. But by the way, if the federal judge makes a mistake, there you are in Mississippi, Alabama, Illinois, uh, any one of 50 different states in front of juries, the very thing that we gave you this statute so you wouldn't have to do. Now, what, 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 what would their theory be? Can I, I'm not sure. It's, it's even that he made a mistake. It's even worse than that. If he gets it right and finds that you are a sovereign, well, let me try to answer. You, you go back to state courts. I mean, that's even worse 
He gets it right. Let, let, let me try to answer both questions. The problem is whether he gets it right or wrong. We spend two years in a court of appeals. But, Your Honor, you're assuming there's an immunity issue in this case. With due respect, my adversaries are arguing someone else's case. There is no immunity claim in this case by PowerX. There is one petition, one petitioner. You were saying they were an organ of the — They were saying they were an organ Yeah, and therefore they are immune unless they fall within an exception. And it may be they — is that not right? No, they conceded that they fell within the exception. Well, I'm saying that's how the statute works. Right. But, but I take it if you win this, it's precisely the same in respect to a person who has total immunity. No. I know. I Why not? I would disagree, Your Honor. Why not? A party who has total immunity yeah. would have removed the case yeah. the same way, yeah. and it would have presented two arguments to the, court, to the district court. Right. It would have argued, number one, we are a foreign sovereign. Maybe it wins, maybe it loses. And number two, we are immune. Yeah. There is a solid line of cases that suggest that the decision on immunity — first of all, let me say, I think it's somewhat far-fetched that a party that would actually be immune, say the king of Saudi Arabia, would end up being in this third lowest category of foreign — purported foreign sovereigns and end up in the position Power X is in. But if it did — in other words, we have three categories. We have immunes, we have non-immunes who get federal court, and then we have would-be foreign sovereigns like Power X who end up in state court. And I'm suggesting for a party to fall from the first category to the third in front of an Article III judge who is looking — A judge makes a big mistake. A big mistake. China comes okay. in and it says, of course you're China. And then it signs a remand order. I would submit, Your Honor, the question has never been addressed by this Court. The lower courts suggest that that is a collateral order. The immunity issue, not the remand issue. We actually now have a Waco-type case. Oh, well, after all, and if the, you're going to say, you say that one is reviewable on appeal. The immunity — Is it or not, in your view? In my view, the immunity issue, but not the remand is reviewable on appeal. Fine. And now all they want here is the organ issue reviewed on appeal. Right. And the difference and what's is — What's the difference uh, the, between the one and the other? The difference is that the immunity issue is reviewed on appeal because there is a line of court of appeal cases, a majority, not a unanimous majority, never blessed by this Court, which suggests that immunity is so important. Don't need a lawyer. You don't go to court. You don't say a word. You don't spend a dollar. You walk away. So important that you're entitled to an immediate appeal. Okay. And you agree with that? And I agree with that. Fine. But and why is it, in your opinion, that the, the immunity thing is so important that they get this collateral appeal, but the organ thing is not so important, because since all that what turns on that is whether they're going to have their non-jury trial? Be, well, I want to come back to non-jury trial and answer Justice Ginsburg's question, because I don't think she got the right answer. But the reason it's more important is this is, as Justice Scalia said, like a diversity decision. This is a litigant who sells power in the Pacific Northwest and admits that it competes with Enron, Duke, and Reliant, and it is disputing whether it belongs in a state court in San Diego or the federal court across the street in San Diego, leaving aside the jury issue. And that is precisely the kind of dispute that Congress suggested in 1447D and its predecessors, which have been on the books for more than 100 years, ought to be done once. What do they say? One and done? Is that what they say? In You're the, saying uh, this all turns on one? our assessment of the, the strength of the interest in remaining in federal court? Is that what it boils down to? No, it turns on the strength of getting an immediate decision on the immunity question. The immunity question is viewed, I think, as a question of an entirely different nature than the question of forum. In the, the immunity question, the immunity question is uh, the same in state or federal court 
the statute as it's written, any foreign sovereign, China, whatever, is as immune from state court jurisdiction as it is from federal court jurisdiction because Congress said so. But with Correct. respect to the commercial enterprise, Congress said we're going to give you a federal court and we're going to give you a judge trial. That doesn't apply to state court. That's correct. But Congress said we're going to give you a, a federal forum and a bench trial if you convince us that you are an agency or an instrumentality of a foreign state. This, this corporation, PowerX, failed to make that convincing showing. Having failed to make that convincing showing, again, they are debating in the appellate courts and tying litigants up for two, five years over whether this case should be litigated in state court it, or in federal There court. was a sovereign party who said, I'm out of it. I have sued immunity. And that was the B.C. Uh, B.C. Hydro. What happened to B.C. Hydro? Because, as I understand, this district court sent that party back, too. The, the district court uh, found that they were immune, properly followed the law, uh, but determined, because it believed it had no subject matter jurisdiction, that it should then stop at that point, that it should just walk away from the case and remand it over the vehement disagreement of B.C. Hydro and the parallel vehement disagreement of the Bonneville Power Administration. The Ninth Circuit, when it erroneously took the appeal on the remand, also clarified or straightened out that issue. And yes, but it couldn't. If, if you are right, then the Ninth Circuit never should have touched this case. So what happens to the three parties, two U.S. parties, one British Columbian, who are entitled to suit immunity? Well, what's happened so far is nothing, which might tell us that in the practical world, when a federal district judge says that B.C. Hydro is immune and then remands a multi-plaintiff, multi-defendant, multi-cross-defendant case to San Diego Superior Court, it is exceedingly unlikely that the San Diego Superior Court will reconsider the immunity. But if but it did, if it but, — But could it? it? I suppose it could. But if it did, that matter is subject to appeal and subject to ultimate certiorari review in this Court. So I think we're talking about a, a frolic. I thought the argument you were making a few minutes ago, if I understood it correctly, was that B.C. Hydro would not have been barred by 1447D from taking an appeal I, to contest the remands. Is that think, correct or not? I think B.C. Hydro could have taken the collateral order, a collateral order of well, appeal. Well, that's a — whether it's a collateral order or not just goes to whether it well, falls under 1291. It doesn't speak at all to the issue of 1447. B.C. Hydro could have attempted to appeal the immunity decision under a series of decisions which suggest that immunity is so important that it ought to be decided right then. And but the difference between that immunity and Power X's status is what? It's simply the fact that there's a stronger interest in uh, allowing immediate appellate review, a federal appellate review of the determination of, of the remand of a, of, of a party that claims to be a sovereign as opposed to Power X's status as an organ? That's Among several other things, there is a stronger interest in that, and we're not debating about the forum. Again, we have the Kircher case from last term saying state courts are perfectly capable of resolving this issue. And that, that is a quotation, actually, from the Missouri Pacific case. If we think that PowerX is that there's a strong interest in having PowerX remain in federal court if it's entitled to that 
under the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, that would be sufficient to, to get around 1447D? I think Justice Scalia was correct to say there's just as strong an interest in, in a diversity case in having a New York corporation trying to escape yeah, a Mississippi. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having the same problem as uh, Justice Alito and Justice Breyer. Can, 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 you, can you say in just a few sentences the difference between the case where there's sovereign immunity, China, uh, the China hypothetical, in this case, where is Oregon immunity? You, yes, if you're, I could. you're telling us that one is more important than the other, but there's no textual basis okay. in, in the statute for us to make that distinction. I think there are two differences, so if I could. One is textual and one is important, and let me start with the textual difference. The textual difference is that 1447D speaks to remands. And so to the extent the district court remanded the matter to state court, the remand is untouchable on appeal or by mandamus because of 1447D. And if the foreign, if the foreign relations body, lobby doesn't like that, if the State Department doesn't like that, they can go to the Capitol and get that fixed quite easily. There are a half a dozen exceptions to 1447D for class actions, for Native Americans, for civil rights cases, and they could get their own exception. So to the extent what the trial court did was remand, it is untouchable. That is my textual answer. It's a remand, i.e., Waco in which the wake of the court says the remand is untouchable, the dismissal of the unnecessary or dispensable party is reviewable. So what I would say is, although the remand is untouchable, the denial of immunity, and that's why I kept saying collateral order, and I apologize if that confused you, Justice Alito. I meant that line of cases about going straight up, even though the case was continuing. While the case continues in state court, where it belongs under 1447D, it would appear under this line of collateral order cases that the denial of immunity per se could go up on its uh, own uh, time. I'm asking why is denial of immunity for sovereign status different from uh, denial of organ status, uh, giving you a right to uh, bench trial, etc.? Well, well, possibly this possibly this court would decide that question the other way, but I and well, it's the same. Look, um, we have this very old judge like me. Uh, China's there. And he says, this isn't China. Formosa is China. Right. So uh, right. he says, remand. So there we are. China is now in the uh, Western District State Court for Illinois. It and they're suing them for a lot of money. Now, my, you said, I thought before, that where that happened, and they wrongly denied immunity, they could, China, appeal in the federal system. I thought you said that. Yes, but not, all right, now, not the you, remand. You, what? But if, not the remand. But they, all they want is a definitive appeal that this is really China. All right? Now, can they do that, yes or no? You said yes. And so I thought Justice Kennedy's question was, if they can do that, why can't PowerX appeal in exactly the same way on the question of whether they're an organ? What's the difference? The first difference is that what I said in, honor, in response to Your Honor's question was, I think they could do that under some cases from the Courts of Appeal. I know they can't appeal the remand because we have an act of Congress which says I don't care. I, th I don't call this as an appeal of remand. What this is, it is an appeal of the determination precedent to remand that power X is not an organ. Well, Justice That's Breyer, make them just as happy, I believe. Justice Breyer, think about a multi-party case. Maybe my answer will be clearer. Yeah. To you. In a multi-party case, 
My position is the remand stands, the case goes back to Missouri or Mississippi or wherever your hypothetical was, but at the same time, I do believe that the potentially immune party, which is not here in this courtroom today, the potentially immune party could seek to, to review of what is a dispositive ruling. Remember, that's a dispositive ruling immunity. Okay. They win the case. That's very different than a venue ruling. Regardless of how they would get up on it, assuming they could get up on the immunity question, our series of questions is, why do we draw, why should we draw a distinction between immunity and federal bench trial? And your answer is, I take it, immunity is dispositive, federal bench trial is not. Immunity is dispositive, and federal bench trial is not and is no different from the day-to-day decisions district courts make all the time about the choice between a state court and a federal court in the area of remands and removals. Because immunity, suit immunity, is you can't be sued any place, not in state court, not in federal court. You can't be sued, period. But now the... It is admitted that you can be sued. That's not in dispute in this case, right? That's correct. So the only question is where? That's, and the that is, that is my order. core, excuse me. That it, is my it, core point that Congress told us when the only question is where, we stop after one level and we move on to the merits. I would like to answer your question about a jury if but I think I interrupted Justice Stevens. I just want to be sure your position. Assume that there is a remand that was improper and cannot be appealed under your theory. And the power X argues all along, I was entitled to a federal forum in a non-jury trial. And the state court says no all the way up. Can they file a petition for certiorari saying we had a federal right that was that denied us not the remand but our entitlement to a bench trial? Can they petition for certiorari at the end of the state proceedings? in your view? Other than the jury question, I think the answer would be no because of 1447D, because I think 1447D would suggest that that's an appeal of a remand. But again, you're asking questions that I believe have not been addressed by this Court or even the lower I'm just wondering what your position is. A clever enough lawyer, I suppose, could argue that at that point we're not — we're no longer challenging the remand. The remand has happened and been completed and the trial has taken place. We are now simply challenging the results, and maybe that clever lawyer would win the day. And in effect, he would say, I mean, I assume what the clever lawyer would say is, you, state court, cannot try me at all. The feds can do what they want about remanding, and it gets back here. But because I'm entitled to a bench trial, you cannot try me at all. Isn't that the argument? Oh, I think in state court, a clever litigant could argue all these points over again, because 1447D is — clever opponent would say (laughs) — that what 1447D means is that you can be tried in state courts. That's precisely what it says. And, and ultimately, when the two clever parties got to the state Supreme Court, they would have these two opposing issues, and ultimately, if we granted cert, this court would decide it, wouldn't it? This court would ultimately decide it, and they would ultimately decide questions such as whether the jury, or to put it the other way, the bench trial issue, has been preserved. Depending on the clever lawyers, or non-clever as the case may be, why not just say Congress intended that you do get an underlying appeal in the federal system where what is at stake is not simply where the case will be tried, 
but rather significant and important rights attach in the Federal Court that do not attach in the State Court. And therefore, it is like the appeal you get when they, when what is at stake, is immune or not. Your Honor. By doing that, we avoid four more years of litigation and the necessity to hire clever lawyers. Well, Congress has said, Congress has said the contrary, and there are often important differences between State and Federal Court. Justice Breyer, I think you have some experience in California. We have nine to three jury verdicts. You will have a litigant here next year saying that the difference between a removal and a remand is a unanimous jury verdict or a nine to three jury verdict, and that's really important. Now, I would just briefly like to get back to Justice Ginsburg's question about a jury because I don't think she got the full answer, and let me give it to you, Justice Ginsburg. The jury issue is virtually, I would say not virtually, the jury issue is out of this case based on my adversary's reply brief, and I will tell you why. We did ask for a jury trial in our case, and we were upset about the whole notion of this case being removed on a cross-claim we were not involved in. We never sued Power X, losing our right to a jury trial on this important case. Mr. Frederick's reply brief says at footnote 4, page 3, or footnote 3, page 4, I apologize, that our right to jury trial is not threatened here, and that under certain lower court decisions, which he is correct, they do exist, I'm not sure they're unanimous, our right to jury trial would survive even though he would have a right to a bench trial under his theory. Well, there is no right to a jury trial on the cross-claim against Mr. Frederick's client. The cross-claim in the California court, which got this whole ball of wax rolling, is a cross-claim for equitable indemnification and declaratory relief, equitable claims as to which there is no right to a jury trial. So I think we are now all in agreement on a jury trial. We are arguing someone else's case. Someday a litigant will appear in this court and present the issue of jury trial. And there, is the, there is still the question of federal forum there, there is a question. Forum. There is, and that's the issue that I think Congress has clearly and definitively said. The state courts have pretty good judges, pretty good juries, pretty good systems, and certiorari procedures to this court. In Kircher, the court's opinion says the state courts are perfectly competent to resolve these issues. The cost of this case being frozen for three or four years while we debated these issues, and these issues are very difficult. I would say uh, we don't only have a backup position, we have a backup, backup position, because we think, number one, the court should be taken at its word. We think, number two, the court had no subject matter jurisdiction. Removal jurisdiction is not subject matter jurisdiction. If you look at the book, Chapter 89, Section 1441, etc., it's titled Removal of Cases from State Courts. You won't find the word subject matter jurisdiction in, in there anywhere. A removal petition moves a case from the state court to the federal court where, if it's a foreign sovereign immunities case, the federal court decides if it has subject matter jurisdiction. That's what 1330 says in Hike Verba. It's what this court's decision in Verlinden versus Central Bank of Nigeria says in Hike Verba. Verlinden says every court that gets a foreign sovereign immunities case must determine at the outset whether it has subject matter jurisdiction by determining if the foreign sovereign is immune, which means that Judge Whaley was correct when he decided that by concluding he had an immune party in front of him, he had no jurisdiction, and was equally correct for Bonneville when he determined 
that United States versus Myers says the same thing, so that he had no subject matter jurisdiction. And in addition, there was a derivative jurisdiction doctrine. Now, this notion of removal jurisdiction, quote-unquote, it's a term we all use. The Court used it in Kircher. I use it. Other people use it. But if you start getting serious about your words, it's meaningless in this context. We have subject matter jurisdiction, and it is conferred in the area of 1330, 1331, 1332. It is not conferred in 1441, 1442, or 1443. It's simply not there. So my backup argument is he was right on every point. And my backup argument beyond that is, again, please reread Carnegie Mellon. Put it next to Thermtron and look at what the lower courts have done. They have found excuse after excuse to take appeals in cases that have no business being in the courts of appeal. They don't have immunity issues. They don't have foreign sovereign issues. They don't have anything. Well, and the, the reason why they may have done that is because they've seen case after case where absolute power corrupts absolutely, and because district judges know that remand orders are not reviewable, on occasion they will remand cases for reasons that are clearly improper. That may be the reason. Now, on your first argument, you say that what the district judge says is dispositive. You mean if the district judge says, I lack subject matter jurisdiction because my docket is crowded? That's no, no, not, that's no, not. no, Your Honor. I'm, I, 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 I overstated. Let me say it more clearly. Kircher decided last term makes clear the line between what can and can't be done. It discusses precisely this point, and it refers to the uh, Ryan versus Contract case, and it refers to the Principe case. And it says that when the court is patently wrong about whether the issue it is discussing is subject matter jurisdiction, then this court may enter into Counsel, it's a good thing you've got a lot of fallback arguments because you fall back very quickly. I I would have thought your answer to Justice Alito would be the statute says if it's remanded, it's not reviewable on appeal or otherwise. And if it's remanded for a silly reason, that will be corrected on review of the State Supreme Court by this court. That, that would be my first answer, and the Chief Justice has done it much better than mine, than I have. But, but, I, but I think, Your Honor, looking at Kircher, to be fair, looking at Kircher, I believe that is the position Justice Scalia took in his concurring opinion. And I didn't want to suggest that Justice Scalia's concurring opinion was the opinion of the Court. The opinion of the Court wrestles with what I thought was Justice Alito's question. What do you do if the trial judge says he has no subject matter jurisdiction and he has not simply made a garden variety jurisdictional error, but he has missed what the issue is. It's really failure to state a claim. It's really something else. And we, of course, have the Steele case, which says jurisdiction has many meanings, and we often get confused about them. And the Court answered the question by saying, only when the trial court is patently wrong, patently wrong not about the jurisdictional question, but as to whether it is even a jurisdictional question, only when the Court is patently wrong do we second-guess the Court? So that certainly — just changes the argument. So the notice of appeal that's filed or the brief on appeal says not only was the Court wrong, it was patently wrong. And the Court of Appeals has to consider that before determining whether it has jurisdiction if, of, to review the remand If order. the Court wants to adopt Justice Scalia's view in the, in the prior case, in the Kircher case, my clients would be pleased with the result. I recommend that. But, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I think but — I but I think, Justice Roberts, I think — Mr. Chief Justice, I apologize. Because my time is running short, I would say the key point in this case came when we sought to have a prompt 
dismissal in the Ninth Circuit of the appeal prior to full briefing and argument, and it was denied. That was the point at which a litigant who simply parroted the phrase, this is patently wrong, would likely, in most circuits, before most panels, have lost. And this matter would have gone back to the state court two and a half years before it got affirmed by the Ninth Circuit and five years before today. Unless the Court has any further questions, I think I've completed my comments. Thank you, Mr. Simon. Uh, Mr. Frederick, you have three minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, a non-jury trial is an aspect of sovereign immunity. This Court's cases have recognized that. In footnote 6 of the government's brief, the government cites the Lehman case, which makes this point clear and argues that the point should be applicable to sovereigns in the context in which we are faced here. The question of whether a foreign entity, and it's more complicated often in the real world, Justice Breyer, as your question identified, not simply with questions, but with the kinds of entities that foreign governments create to advance public purposes. The intent of Congress was not to have those kinds of entities tested in state court to determine whether or not they enjoyed the privileges and procedural protections of the FSIA. And it is not simply a question of whether or not an elderly judge might choose to recognize China or Formosa, but rather the kinds of instrumentalities that were created by those governments to advance public purposes, to serve as separate juridical entities, and who would be performing the kinds of acts that might lead them into litigation. And as and, my and brother — Congress said, and those, those entities don't get any immunity. They get two things. They get a federal forum, and they get a judge trial. That's all that's at stake. That's not all that's at stake, Justice Ginsburg. There are also rights with respect to foreign states to be free of punitive damages. There are rights to have certain property of the sovereign that would be subject to different attachment rules. The FSIA has a whole string of procedural protections that are afforded to foreign states and their instrumentalities. And this case ultimately is about the fact that PowerX is being subjected to multiple suits in state court, but as a result of the Ninth Circuit's holding in are this those, case — Have they been sued by the plaintiffs in any of these cases, or have they been always brought in by defendants? They have been directly sued by the people of the state of California, whom my brother here represents. They have been sued by the California Attorney General. They have been sued by the California Department of Water Resources. And under the Ninth Circuit's precedent in this case, which I urge you to overturn, PowerX has been remanded to state court, has not been permitted to appeal the remand order, and is stuck in state court in these cases without any opportunity to test what is a clearly erroneous and what my brother doesn't make any attempt to defend the merits of the decision. That PowerX has performed public functions, is serving at the direction of the government of British Columbia, and is performing these functions to advance clearly public purposes. And yet we are now in this Kafkaesque warp world between state and federal court, where if we try to litigate all the way up through state court, it is not entirely clear whether we will ever have our organ, uh, our status as a foreign organ ever vindicated. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.